0: So, nice to meet you, Debbie. And You too. <laughs> so, you have a, a book that's an autobiography?
1: I do. Can I show you? Mm-hmm. It's called A Recipe for, that's the abbreviations for Complex PTSD, Post Traumatic Stress Disorder, and PNES, which is Psychogenic Non-Epileptic Seizures. So my whole life has been a recipe to create those two mental illnesses. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what happens from a lifetime of trauma from childhood right on up. Oh, that's what happened to me.
0: So can you explain or just tell the difference between PTSD and CPTSD?
1: Yes. Well, most people are familiar with uh, PTSD and generally speaking, you know, we hear about the soldier who has gone to war and has experienced a lot of and trauma and saw a lot of not so very nice things, comes back home and ends up with PTSD. I explain complex PTSD as uh, a person who has from childhood up until pretty much my age now which is 62 lived in a war zone particularly Mm -hmm. in my childhood so i didn't go to war but i lived in a war zone so that that's the difference and uh it's it's complex is a good word to describe it because it's i don't want to compare ptsd with complex ptsd but i guess complex ptsd is just just that it's more complex okay
0: that makes sense makes sense understand that part because I I have P I guess I would have I normally say I have like PTSD but I guess I would have actually C PTSD Um, yeah yeah
1: a lot of people do just say uh, you know I spoke to an author a little while ago who has written a book and she said I have PTSD and I said I have complex PTSD but when we talked about our lives it was very similar so Mm -hmm. I just, I wanted to use the term complex because I, I guess I wanted people to get a better understanding of exactly what it is. And I also wanted to use the term PNES, which is psychogenic non-epileptic seizures, because not very many people know what that is. It's very rare.
0: Explain more about the PNES.
1: Okay. About four years ago, I started having—I called it uh, tremors at first because my body would shake, mm-hmm. and I had—I couldn't control it. I had no idea what it was, and then it became uh, extreme. and And in my autobiography, I explain it and compare it to. And I don't know if people would have watched the movie. Um, oh my gosh, uh, where the lady, it was called The Exorcist, the movie, mm-hmm. and they did an exorcism on the lady. Mm-hmm. And she was flipping back and forth. And she was making really primitive sounds and screams and yells and just shaking all over. So that's, that's mm-hmm. the only way I can describe it it's, it was very bizarre. It was extremely scary. When I started having it uh, one night, like my muscles, up and then everything starts mm. to shake like that and and I say things that don't even make any sense mm. and one night it was when I first started having them it was like the muscles were constricting around my throat oh. so I ended up calling the ambulance and I went to the hospital Nobody knew what was happening to me. Uh, I have a, an amazing psychiatrist. Uh, had him since 2012. He didn't know what was happening to me. My, my uh, therapist didn't know. But thankfully, I'm a counselor. I was a counselor for 25 years. Okay. So because of my background, my education, my experience, I, it took a while, but I was able to diagnose myself. Mm. And I did a lot of research. And I told my psychiatrist, this is what I have. He went and did his own research and actually took some courses on it, which, which I was delighted about. So I do have P-N-E-S, yes. Does that make sense the way I explained it? hmm It makes sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's always good when, like, you have, like you say, your psychiatrist, like, listen to you and did, did their own research instead of just, you know, just ignoring you.
1: Yeah, because at the, at one point in the middle of it, before I actually figured out what was wrong with me, uh, it was a number of years ago, I live in Newfoundland and Labrador in Canada. And at the time I had decided to try medical cannabis, mm-hmm. and it was not legal in in our province then although it is legal now so you can just go to a store and pick it up but back then you couldn't so I had seen a different psychiatrist not my psychiatrist a different psychiatrist who was with an agency that would prescribe it but I just started having my seizures and when I went to see him that's also I wrote a little bit about that in my book as well because he didn't understand he told me I was faking it he told Mm -hmm. me I was a good actress because while I was in his office, because he was so degrading, I ended up having a seizure while I was there. So uh, there's a lot of people that don't understand it. So there's many reasons why I wrote my book and told my story. But I want people to understand what it is professionals and just ordinary people. And since I've written my book, and people have read it, I've had so many messages uh, from people who've said, I have that I have that that's what I have. So
0: it's good. So do you know, like, based on when you have your, um, uh, episodes, like what are they triggered by? Mine
1: are triggered by, uh, it would be a trigger from my past mm-hmm. and sometimes it's so subtle that I may not even be aware what it was it may take me a while to figure it out um I'll just give you an example when I grew up I lived with a, an abusive father and you know he would yell and degrade and that sort of thing so even if someone used that tone of voice with me not mm-hmm. now but when I first start having them that mm-hmm. would trigger because it, it'll trigger and put me back to my childhood so it would trigger a seizure something as simple as a little while back, I was using a chopper, an electric chopper to chop up some vegetables mm-hmm. and it, it broke. And of course, when I was a child, if I broke something, I was in deep trouble and you know, would be abused because I broke something. And my husband, I called him and I said, can you come and look at the chopper and figure out what it is? And it, uh, it was just the switch needed to be reset. Mm-hmm. And by the time he had reset the switch, I started having a seizure and I mm-hmm. thought, this doesn't make sense, but it didn't. It took me a while, but then I realized it did make sense because pl- plugging in the chopper and it not working meant that Debbie probably broke it. Mm. And when Debbie was a child, I, it was trauma if I broke something. So it, it's the littlest things, the oddest things. The other thing that can trigger my my seizures is if I have too much stress, be mm. it good stress or bad stress. If I just have too much brain stimulation. Mm -hmm. it can trigger the seizure. However, I developed the seizures probably about four years ago and I rarely get one now because I've uh, miraculously found a way to help my seizures. Mm -hmm. That's great.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think people understand, like, well, I think people are getting to the point where they understand, like, triggers more, and that, like mm-hmm. you said, it can be, like, the smallest thing, because it, it represents something from our childhood, so right. I think people are realizing that, especially, like, growing up, our surroundings and our environment and our parents, you know, that stuff lasts continues for us throughout our lives. And it people- does, people didn't understand that at first so exactly when you when did you realize I guess like uh growing up did you know like your life did you realize like growing up like you were being abused or this wasn't right or did you realize like as an adult I knew when I was growing
1: up that it wasn't right uh because when I would go to friends houses I didn't I didn't want to go back home. Mm -hmm. I I just, I didn't like it there. And we lived in Newfoundland and Labrador in a very small rural community where, you know, people you just kept everything quiet so that people outside of the house didn't know anything. You, you had to keep hush hush. Uh, when I was, uh, I think it was 12, we moved to Ontario to a larger centre, a city, London, Ontario. And as I didn't know what was happening with me then, I do now understand it. I was a child who was trying to find my place and I was rebelling. And I remember I was a quiet child, a good a good girl, what you would say, Mm -hmm. when we moved to Ontario. And I found a friend when I went to school. I remember her. I can even picture her. Her name was Liba and she was Jewish. And I took Liba home to visit my family Mm -hmm. and my father would not let me be friends with Leba because she was Jewish. Mm. It made no sense to me, but I was not allowed to be friends with her. So, I, you know, as, as a child, when you're 12, 13, like that, you're looking for a place to belong. So I started searching for a place to belong. And I found it in friends who were into drugs and alcohol and doing bad things and, you know, get staying out late, those sorts of things. So what ended up happening, to make a long story short, uh, I got involved with them, did what they were doing, and my father gave me away. He put me in the care of Children's Aid Society, Mm -hmm. and I ended up in foster care and group homes, and I ended up living on the streets because I ran away. So that's when a lot of abuse occurred there as well. So it was a pretty traumatic time.
0: Hmm. So... Would you say like your? I know you said you're married now, but would you say like your relationships up to that? How were they? Were they also abusive, or did that pattern follow you into like your relationships? Interesting, interesting. Because uh,
1: my father didn't want me to date; I wasn't allowed to date. Uh, we moved back to Newfoundland and Labrador when I was. 13, and I had just turned 14 and started a new school. And I met this guy, Bill. And, uh, you know, at 14, I had a big crush on him. And I really wanted to date him, but I wasn't permitted. But I had an aunt who came home for Christmas, just before Christmas to visit. And she could somehow oftentimes make my father do things that he would normally not do so I asked her I said will you will you see if he'll let Bill come here so anyway she convinced my father to allow Bill to come Bill was 16 17 then Bill drank my father was an alcoholic so my father and Bill used to drink together so I was allowed to date bill because my father and him clicked because they drank Mm -hmm. so during the teenage years i wanted to break up with bill because i was interested in other guys but i didn't because my father would allow bill and he probably wouldn't allow me to be with anybody else so i started dating bill when i was 14 years old uh i'm now 62 we've been married since 1975 We have the most fantastic relationship that anyone could ever dream about. However, one of the chapters in my autobiography is called It Was No Honeymoon because I married him. And even when I married him, I didn't want to be marrying him. I had all the wedding invitations sent out, and I it, it just didn't feel right in my gut. But being so young and naive, I went ahead with it anyway. And the first few years, quite a few years of our marriage were, we should really be a statistic. We shouldn't, mm. we should be divorced. It was not very nice. He wasn't physically abusive, but uh, he just wasn't, yeah, but, and then i he was not as abusive as my father, but I was angry, I think because of where I came from, because I didn't like his drinking, I was trying to make him stop. So we didn't have a good relationship, Mm -hmm. but uh, I guess I just stuck with it. I think I was meant to have him. So I say to him, I spent all those years with you, you know, trying to, I tried to help him and make him get better, which it it did eventually, but it took a toll on me. But now when I became sick, he's my rock so we've kind of we've reversed roles so I think it was it's a true love story but it didn't start out very good but today I wouldn't wish for another man
0: that's good so you mentioned that your father was like an alcoholic would you do you know anything about his like growing up or like why did he possibly become an alcoholic I don't, it's really
1: interesting, because my grandmother, which was his mother, she lived with us. And she was the one she was my guardian angel. She was the one that felt that Debbie could do no wrong. And if it had not been for the way that my grandmother was, I don't think I would be the person that I am today, I I might be dead on a street somewhere. But um, when I was born, her husband, my grandfather had passed away just a few years before that. So I don't know of him. I, do, I know that he had depression, but I don't know uh, anyone in the family that had drinking. And I would talk to my grandmother, and we were really close, so we would talk about it. So she never told me that anyone else had a drinking problem, so I really don't know. But my father certainly did, and he also was a narcissist. Mm. and you know from my training and everything a lot of times when there's a narcissist you know there's you look through their background and you can see okay maybe that's what went on and there's a reason but uh, I'm unable to find the reason and of course you know there's no family oh by the way my family has my father is dead he was killed in a car accident mm. about 25 years ago uh, my biological family has disowned me mm. but I um, I know no reason you know because a lot of times like My husband is an alcoholic, recovered, uh, recovering. We always say recovering because you never know. Uh, My son is a recovering alcoholic addict. So, you know, you can kind of go back through the family. But in terms of my father, I I really don't know.
0: Hmm. Hmm. So you mentioned he was also a narcissist. What, like, narcissist things would he do, like, growing up?
1: one of the things that i've said i've often said to myself i became a counselor so in order to become a counselor you have to be a really good listener Mm -hmm. but my father would come home he may be drunk he may not be drunk and he would sit at the table and we had to listen to him we listened to him brag about how good he was and how Mm -hmm. he never did anything wrong and this person was bad and this person was horrible and they treated him wrong he was he was the king he was it Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that really stood out for me. And I hated listening to his rants, but I had no choice. I just had to sit there and listen to it. That, that was it. And, uh, it was, it was really tough on a child, but mm-hmm. I, I couldn't do anything right. No matter what I did, it wasn't right.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So did you become a counselor to kind of discover like your own, like what was going on with yourself? I, I really
1: don't know. I, I, When I first, uh, I finished high school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to get away from my home. I Mm -hmm. just didn't want to be there. Graduated high school and my husband had gone away to work uh, in Labrador. And I just followed him there. So at that time, I just did some training and did clerical work and I call it my calling I don't know what else Mm -hmm. to call it but I always, all of a sudden I had this feeling it was like my calling that I was supposed to help other people and Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure quite how but I knew inside me that it was, I was called to do something. I I, search, I even searched out, like, going into ministry, but that, that wasn't it. But it was, it was a counselor, and it was just a feeling that I had inside me. So I did, you know, got my education and did uh, my training and became a counselor. And although my experiences in life are probably not exactly the same as the people that I saw, because I was a counselor for 25 years until I became ill. So I heard a lot of stories, but I always had some connection, like I could it gave, I guess my uh, abuse gave me empathy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: If you try to find anything good from abuse, I don't know if there's anything good, but I think it gave me the ability to be very empathetic.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's true. true. I think, you know, unfortunately we go through a lot of abusive situations and everything, but I think that they help people that have been through similar things, realize that they're not alone. And that mm-hmm. you know this doesn't just happen to them, and that is you know it's not their fault. So I, exactly, I, I definitely think you know in some ways it makes us like like you were saying empathic people, um, mm-hmm. just going through abuse. But, uh, so where where can we find your book at? My book is available on Amazon.
1: Uh, it's available on, uh, I'm just looking, I have my uh, online listings behind me on my computer. So it's available Kindle, Indigo Chapters, Barnes and Noble, Book Depository, uh, Kobo, Smashwords, Apple eBooks. So I think most people that, that I've been talking to that I've ordered, it's been through Amazon. So if you go to Amazon, uh, if you just type my name, Debbie Sampson, there's no P in it, it's D-E-B-B-I-E. S A M S O N. I also have a website, it's debbysampson.com If someone wants to look there, mm-hmm. uh, my book uh, from Amazon can be bought in the Kindle edition, uh, paperback, and there's also a hardcover available now. So uh, people are the feedback that I've been getting has just been oh, heartwarming. I want I want I want people to feel that they're not alone, to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to try to educate others by writing the book and as far as I can see it's starting to happen now I'm not completely better by no means I have to be very very careful and I'm still not able to work but uh, I'm a lot better than I was I would when I first became sick there's no way I would have ever been able to sit here and talk to you about this without Mm -hmm. having a seizure so that says a lot yeah but yeah that's how you can get the book and that's what the book looks like and my name is on the bottom Debbie A. Sampson and that's me when I was a little girl Mm-hmm. and this I just if you don't mind this is I was an identical twin my twin okay. sister was born was bo- still born mm-hmm. so when I had this picture done which was many years ago never dreaming it would be the cover of my autobiography I used this picture and I wanted this which is ident- we were identical couldn't tell us apart but uh, this represents her looking mm-hmm. down upon me throughout my life so uh, okay. that's the that's the meaning of the cover yeah
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah So Amazon is one of the good places, but you know, anywhere where you get Kindle and different places like that online. Yeah. How long, uh, how long did it take you to write it? I wish I had written that down because I, I know I was writing well over a year for sure. But while I was writing, I thought I had dealt with my trauma. Mm -hmm. No, I don't know if you could ever entirely deal with all of it. There's been so much of it, but uh, some of the incidents that i would be writing about would bring me back and I'd have to stop one in particular if is it okay if I share Mm -hmm. yeah one in particular when I was in a group home uh oh the way that they handled the children was was cruel Mm -hmm. uh I wanted to fit in with the other children and I I inside me I want it to be good but I but the other children were acting out So in order to fit in, you had to act out. And I remember they were having, there was a bunch of children that were having fights and arguments and things with the staff there. Of course, I joined in and I was put in a padded room, literally a padded room. There was no windows. There was a door and everything, the door, the ceiling, the walls, the floor, everything was padded. And... It was the first time that I felt claustrophobia Mm -hmm. that I can remember. I may have felt it before then was the first time that I can remember. So when I started to write about that in my autobiography, oh boy, did it ever trigger. I had to, I had to put the book away. I had my daughter who's, who's awesome. She's 40 now and she is amazing. She's not a counselor, but she should be. She's Mm -hmm. uh, learned a lot of things from her mom because I've always been open about my life. Mm -hmm. And I remember having to call her and she's their mom. Stop typing. Close the computer. Now let's, you know, just talk about something else. Let's get get you out of where you are. But I, there was many times throughout the book, that's just one example. There was many times throughout the book where I had to stop because it was overwhelming. So it took a long time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that definitely was going to be my next question. Just asking, like when you were writing the book, did it bring up like CPTSD moments or uh pnes moments as well where you had to stop
1: yeah it did but having said that while it was happening it was terrible i hated it but it also forced me to deal with it mm-hmm. and it forced me to walk through the trauma and through i found that now that i've finished the book writing it was one of the i've done a lot of different therapies over the years a lot to heal but that was probably one of the most therapeutic things that i've ever done So it was very therapeutic and I found that it was empowering. And now since the book has been released and people are giving me feedback, they're, they're coming to tell me, you know, they're sending me messages on Facebook and they're telling me their life stories. I find that I feel freer. I just feel lighter Mm -hmm. and I feel more well. And just before my book was, my book was In the process of being published but it wasn't released and i had i have a facebook page it's at debbie a samson and i I have probably i think around 600 and something followers so a lot of people from the small community that i grew up in learned about it because of course i wanted to promote it and let people know i was writing Mm -hmm. so a while not too long a few weeks or so before my book was released I had a phone call from my biological brother who hasn't spoke to me in over six years. Mm. Uh, it was, it was a horrible phone call, but the gist of it, he threatened to kill me and he gave me five or six different ways that he was going to kill me. Oh, yeah. And I called the police, uh, I tried to record the conversation because I know what he's like. He's, Mm he's, he's like my father, he's a narcissist as well. And I know his behavior. I expected that from him and I actually didn't answer the calls, but he kept phoning and I thought i got to get this over with. Mm -hmm. So because I was so nervous, I forgot to push the button to record it. So I didn't have the proof, although my husband, I had it on speaker. So my husband heard the conversation, so Mm -hmm. he knew what it was, but I did call the police and I could have laid charges, but I, I just, I don't think I would have got anywhere because I didn't have the proof. So the police called him and, uh, you know, they told him he had to stop that behavior. So it was uh, challenging to write the book. But my biological family disowned me actually three times in my life. They gave Mm -hmm. me up. They put me in foster care. Uh, They took me back when my father was killed in the car accident. I just have one brother, uh, my brother and my biological mother. Uh, she and him disowned me. So for about seven years, we didn't speak. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of, not very good terms, but we tried. And then a little over six years ago, six years ago, April passed. I haven't spoke to them since, except for that phone call that he made to me. So I was uh, very traumatized by that, what he had done, the the remarks that he had made. And that set me back. I had a seizure that day when I hadn't had one forever uh however that experience showed me and the rest of the world because my book was about to be put to the printers and I called my publicist and I said wait wait I have to tell what happened because I, I just wanted to in a way I'm glad he did it because it proved the kind of person that he is so uh, the the end of my book tells what happened and what he did and how he threatened me and I felt I just felt um, pushed down. Mm-hmm. But as people, I have so much support. I don't have a biological family, but I have people around me that are better than any family could ever be. I have a chosen family and I, my children and my husband, I have so much support. So they've all rallied around me. So writing the book was therapeutic and it was uh, also empowering. But now I feel free. Uh, that biological family, I don't care. One of the threats that he made, I'm doing a, a book release on the 21st of August. And I had mm-hmm. publicized that back in the community where I came from. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you come to do that book release, I'll be there. And he didn't threaten to shoot me then. I'm not sure what his threat was. You'll be sorry. I think it was oh. or something like that. So, but I'm going to do that book release. It's. Mm-hmm. Go- I know it's going to be difficult, but I'm going to do it. There's nobody going to control me anymore. Yes. That's empowering.
0: (laughs) Yes, I think that's the like most empowering thing. Like once we recognize someone is like a narcissist or abusive to take back that power no matter what and just understand within ourselves that you know no one's going to control me, no one's going to make me not do things because of of them or even their presence. So I think that's that's definitely important as well. So do you see in your your autobiography, do you see like a part two or writing more about it? Or is this just like, here's a story I wouldn't be surprised if
1: there's another one down the road it's really Mm -hmm. interesting the book only came out the latter part of June so it's only a little over a month Mm -hmm. and there's been been so many changes in my life they're really positive really positive (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I don't know what's down the road but uh, I did start writing another book it's really I'm not going to give it away but uh, after I finished that one while I was waiting for it to be published and going through the editing process and that sort of thing I started another book so it will be to help people who have mental illnesses and so there's there's something in the works and uh, you haven't heard the end of (laughs) me (laughs) yet
0: I want to help people so bad that's great and that's incredible you were able to you know recognize what happened to you and like you said allow it to help other people I think that's so important that we you know as people that have been through abuse and through trauma that we don't, we don't just say, okay, I've been through that. And that's it. I think it's, you know, cathargic and for us and for others to, you know, learn that, you know, everyone has been through trauma and that you're, you're not alone. And like you right. said, even if you don't have a, Uh, community even though you don't have like a biological family you have a community of people that care and love you uh and so family family does not definitely family doesn't have to be blood it can be you know whoever loves you in that way and that that person is family
1: Exactly, and and just get the message out. And I mean, but I thank you for doing this podcast. Thank you because you know you're one of the ones. You know, I wrote the book. You're doing the podcast, and we're all banding together to help others to show them that, you know, there is there is a way out. You're not alone. So uh, it's a, it's it's a good feeling to know that I'm not alone and there is hope.
0: Yeah. I yeah. definitely appreciate you writing your book and i definitely be picking up a copy to read and just discover more about your life. And thank you. I definitely appreciate you uh, joining the podcast and talking with me today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. And I hope you have a great day today and I look forward to seeing more about you soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.